I'll continue reading from Fritjof Schoen's Understanding Islam, the chapter entitled The Quran, page 57. Pure intellect is the, quote, imminent Quran. The uncreated Quran, the Logos, is the divine intellect, which crystallizes in the form of the earthly Quran and answers objectively to that other imminent and subjective revelation, which is the human intellect. In Christian terms, it could be said that Christ is like the objectivation of the intellect, and the latter is like the subjective and permanent revelation of Christ. Thus, there are two poles for the manifestation of divine wisdom, and they are, firstly, the revelation above us, and secondly, the intellect within us. The revelation provides the symbols while the intellect deciphers them and, quote, recollects their content, thereby again becoming conscious of its own substance. Revelation is a deployment and intellect a concentration. The descent is in accord with the ascent. But there is another haqiqah, truth, on which we should wish to touch at this point, and it is this. In the sensory order, the divine presence has two symbols or vehicles or two natural manifestations of primary importance. The heart within us, which is our centre, and the air around us, which we breathe. Air is the manifestation of ether, the weaver of forms and it is at the same time the vehicle of light, which in its turn manifests the ethereal element. When we breathe, the air penetrates us, and symbolically it is as though it introduced into us the creative ether, together with light. We breathe in the universal presence of God. There is also a connection between light and coolness, for the sensation of both is liberating. What is light outwardly is coolness inwardly. We inhale luminous, cool air, and our respiration is a prayer, as is the beating of our heart. And luminosity relates to the intellect and the freshness to pure being. In Islam it is taught that at the end of time light will become separated from heat and heat will be hell whereas light will be paradise. The light of heaven is cool and the heat of hell dark. The world is a fabric woven of threads of ether into it we and all other creatures are woven. All sensory things come forth from ether, which contains all. Everything is ether crystallized. The world is an immense carpet. We possess the whole world in each breath, 
because we breathe the ether from which all things are made. And we are ether. Just as the world is an immeasurable carpet in which everything is repeated within the rhythm of continual change, or again, in which everything remains similar within the framework of the law of differentiation, so too the Quran, and with it the whole of Islam, is a carpet or fabric, in which the centre is everywhere repeated in an infinitely varied way, and in which the diversity is but a development of the unity. The universal ether, of which the physical element is only a distant and grosser reflection, is none other than the divine word, which is everywhere being and consciousness and everywhere creative and liberating, or revealing and illuminating. The nature which surrounds us, sun, moon, stars, day and night, the seasons, the waters, mountains, forests and flowers, is a kind of primordial revelation. Now these three things, Nature, light and breath are profoundly linked with one another. Breathing should be linked with the remembrance of God. We should breathe with reverence, with the heart, so to speak. It is said that the Spirit of God, the divine breath, was, quote, over the waters and that it was by breathing into it that God created the soul, as it is also said that man who is born of the Spirit is like the wind. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. It is significant that Islam is defined in the Quran as an expansion, in shirah, of the breast that it is said, for example, that God hath expanded our breast for Islam. The connection between the Islamic perspective and the initiatory meaning of breathing and also of the heart is a key of the first importance for understanding the Sufic arcanum. It is true that by the very force of things the same path also opens out onto universal gnosis. The remembrance of God is like breathing deeply in the solitude of high mountains. Here the morning air, filled with the purity of the eternal snows, dilates the breast. The breast becomes space and heaven enters our heart. But this image includes yet a more differentiated symbolism that of the universal breath. Here, expiration relates to cosmic manifestation or the creative phase, and inspiration corresponds to reintegration, to the phase of salvation or the return to God. We're continuing with the reading of the chapter entitled The Quran in Fritjof Schuon's Understanding Islam, page 59. 
One reason why Westerners have difficulty in appreciating the Quran and have even many times questioned whether this book contains the premises of a spiritual life lies in the fact that they look in a text for a meaning that is fully expressed and immediately intelligible, whereas Semites and Eastern peoples in general are lovers of verbal symbolism and read in depth. The revealed phrase is for them an array of symbols from which more and more flashes of light shoot forth the further the reader penetrates into the spiritual geometry of the words. The words are reference points for a doctrine that is inexhaustible. The implicit meaning is everything, and the obscurities of the literal meaning are so many veils marking the majesty of the content. But even without taking into consideration the sibylline structure of many sacred sentences, we can say that the Oriental draws much from a few words. When, for example, the Quran recalls that, quote, the world beyond is better for you than this lower world, or earthly life is but a play, or affirms, in your wives and your children ye have an enemy, or say Allah, then leave them to their vain talk, or finally, when it promises paradise to him who has feared the station of his Lord and refused desire to his soul. When the Quran speaks thus, there emerges for the Muslim a whole ascetic and mystical doctrine as penetrating and as complete as any other form of spirituality worthy of the name. Man alone has the gift of speech, for he alone among all the creatures of this earth is made in the image of God in a direct and total manner. And since it is by virtue of this likeness, provided it is actualized by appropriate means, that man is saved, thus by virtue of the objective intelligence associated with free will and truthful speech, whether articulated or not, it is easy to understand the capital part played in the life of the Muslim by those sublime words which the verses of the Quran are. They are not merely sentences which transmit thoughts, but are in a way beings powers or talismans. The soul of the Muslim is, as it were, woven of sacred formulas. In these he works, in these he rests, in these he lives, and in these he dies. It was the objectivity of human intelligence which enabled Adam to name all things and all creatures. In other words, it is this objectivity which enables man to know objects, plants and animals, whereas they do not know him. But the highest content of this intelligence is the absolute. To be able to compass the greater is to be able to compass the lesser.
and it is because man can know God that he knows the world. After its own fashion, human intelligence is a proof of God. We're continuing reading from Fritjof Shuan's Understanding Islam, the chapter on the Quran, page 61. At the beginning of this book, we saw that the intention of the formula La ilaha illallah becomes clear if by the term ilah, the literal meaning of which is divinity, one understands reality, the level or nature of which remains to be determined. The first proposition of the sentence, which is negative in form, there is no divinity, relates to the world reducing it to nothingness by taking away from it any positive character. The second proposition, which is affirmative, save the divinity, Allah, is related to absolute reality or to being. The word divinity, ilah, can be replaced by any word expressing a positive idea. In the first part of the formula, this word would then remain indefinite but in the second proposition it would become defined absolutely and exclusively as principle. As in the case of the name Allah, the divinity, with regard to the word ilah, divinity. There's a footnote here, number 33. One of the works of the Shaykh al-Alawi contains indeed a whole litany drawn from the Shahada. La quddusa illallah. There is no saint save Allah. La alima illallah. There is no sage save Allah. And so on through all the divine attributes. Back to the main text. In the Shahada there is metaphysical discernment between the unreal and the real and then combative virtue. This formula is both the sword of knowledge and the sword of the soul while also marking the peace that truth brings, serenity in God. Another fundamental proposition of Islam, and no doubt the most important after the double testimony of faith, is the formula of consecration, the basmala. In the name of God, the infinitely good, the ever merciful. There's a footnote on the infinitely good as the translation of Ar-Rahman. Here we give the fundamental meaning of this name. No objection can be raised to the translating of the name Rahman as compassionate, for compassion is, as it were, the essence of mercy. Continuing with the text, this is the formula of the revelation found at the head of every surah of the Qur'an except one which is considered as a continuation of the preceding one. This consecration is the first phrase of the revealed book, for with it begins, quote, that which opens, Surah Al-Fatiha, the introductory surah. It is said that the Fatiha contains in essence the whole of the Qur'an, that the Basmala in turn contains the whole of the Fatiha, that the basmala is itself contained in the letter ba, and that this is contained in its diacritical point. Footnote 37. 
The letter Ba, the second letter in the Arabic alphabet, the first being the Alif, a plain vertical line with an axial symbolism, is formed by a horizontal line slightly curved like a bowl and is distinguished by a point beneath it. Ali, the Prophet's son-in-law and, at a later date, the Sufi Ashibli, both compared themselves to this point under the bar in order to express their state of supreme identity. This diacritical point corresponds to the first drop of the divine ink, Midad, to fall from the pen. It is the divine spirit, Ar-Ruh, or the prototype of the world. End of the footnote. Back to the text. The Basmala forms a kind of complement to the Shahada. The Shahada is an intellectual ascent and the Basmala an ontological descent. In Hindu terms, the former could be called Shaivite and the latter Vaishnava. If we may be permitted to return once again to two Vedantic formulas of the highest importance, let us point out that the Shahada destroys the world because the world is false, Brahma is true, whereas the Basmala, on the contrary, consecrates and sanctifies the world because all is Atma. But the Basmala is already contained in the Shahada, namely in the word Illa, a contracted form of in la, if not, which is the isthmus, marzakh, between the negative and positive propositions of the formula. The first half of this word itself being positive, in, if, and the second negative, la, no or none. In other words, the shahada is the juxtaposition of the negation la ilaha, no divinity, and the name Allah, the divinity. This confrontation being linked by a word, the first half of which being positive indirectly refers to Allah, and the second half being negative indirectly refers to unreality. Thus, in the center of the Shahada, there is a kind of inverse image of the relationship which it expresses, and this inversion represents the truth according to which the world possesses the degree of reality proper to its level, since nothing can be cut off from the divine cause. We'll continue reading from Fritjof Shuan's Understanding Islam, chapter on the Quran, page 63. And it is from this mysterious heart of the Shahada that the second Shahada springs, like Eve drawn from the side of Adam. The divine truth, having said no to the world which would be God, says yes within the very framework of this no, because the world cannot in itself be cut off from God. Allah cannot not be there in a certain fashion, or in conformity with certain principles resulting both from his nature and from that of the world. From a somewhat different point of view, it can also be said that the Basmala is the divine and revelatory ray which brings into the world the truth of the double Shahada. The Basmala is the descending ray and the Shahada 
is its content, the horizontal image which in the world reflects the truth of God. In the second Shahada, Muhammadun Rasulullah, this vertical ray is itself reflected and the projection of the message becomes a part of the message. The Basmala consecrates everything, including especially the vital functions with their inevitable and legitimate pleasures. Through this consecration, something of the divine beatitude enters into their enjoyment. It is as though God entered into the enjoyment and participated in it, or as though man entered a little but with full right into the beatitude of God. Like the Basmala, the second Shahada neutralizes the denial enunciated by the first Shahada, which, symbolically speaking, already bears within itself its compensatory dimension, or its corrective in the word Illa, from which springs forth the Muhammadun Rasulullah. This question could also be approached from a rather different angle. The consecration in the name of God, the infinitely merciful, the ever-merciful in action, presupposes something in relation to which the idea of unity enunciated by the Shahada has to be realized. And this relationship is indicated in the Basmala itself, in the sense that being divine utterance, it creates that which should then be brought back to the uncreated. The divine names Rahman and Rahim, both derived from the word Rahma, mercy, mean the former the intrinsic mercy of God and the latter his extrinsic mercy. Thus the former indicates an infinite quality and the latter a limitless manifestation of that quality. The words could also be respectively translated as creator through love and saviour through mercy. Or, drawing inspiration from a hadith, we could comment on them thus. Ar-Rahman is the creator of the world inasmuch as a priori and once and for all he has furnished the elements of well-being of this lower world. While Ar-Rahim is the saviour of men, inasmuch as he confers on them the beatitude of the world beyond, or inasmuch as he gives them here below the seeds of that other world, or dispenses its benefits. In the names Rahman and Rahim, the divine mercy faces human incapacity, in the sense that consciousness of our incapacity is, when coupled with trust, the moral receptacle of mercy. The name Rahman is like a sky full of light. The name Rahim is like a warm ray coming from the sky and giving life to man. I'll just repeat that paragraph of extreme importance. In the names Rahman and Rahim, the divine mercy faces human incapacity in the sense that consciousness of our incapacity is, when coupled with trust, the moral receptacle of mercy. The name Rahman is like a sky full of light. 
The name Rahim is like a warm ray coming from the sky and giving life to man. I'll continue reading from Fritjof Schuon's Understanding Islam, the chapter on the Quran, page 65. In the name Allah, there are the aspects of awe-inspiring transcendence and enveloping totality. Were there only the aspect of transcendence, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to contemplate this name. From a different point of view, it can be said that the name Allah breathes forth at one and the same time serenity, majesty, and mystery. The first of these qualities relates to the undifferentiation of the substance, and the second to the loftiness of the principle, and the third to the ipsaity, which is both secret and lightning-like. In the written form of the name Allah in Arabic, we distinguish a horizontal line, that of the very motion of writing, then the upright strokes of the alif and the lam, and then finally a more or less circular line, symbolically reducible to a circle. These three elements are like indications of three dimensions, Serenity, which is horizontal and undifferentiated like the desert or a blanket of snow. Majesty, which is vertical and immovable like a mountain. And mystery, which extends in depth and relates to ipsaity and to gnosis. The mystery of ipsaity implies that of identity. For the divine nature, which is totality as well as transcendence, includes all possible divine aspects, including the world, with its countless individualized refractions of the self.